You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Pretty brief, but really powerful. Now, there are those who are known for their honesty, but there are those who lie so freely that if there was an event in the Olympics for liars, they would walk home with the gold medal. I grew up knowing this. Honesty is the best policy. Knowing that all my life, but there were years where I didn't know where it came from. I knew it didn't come from the Bible, but I wasn't sure where it came from. That bit of wisdom from the pen of William Shakespeare, though, has stood the test of time. But that's not the whole quote. That's the part we often quote, but that's not the whole thing. It's the second part of the quote, though, that I think really adds the punch. This is the way he wrote it. Honesty is the best policy. If I lose mine honor, I lose myself. But long before the bard of Avon set quill to paper, God's Word set a standard for honor with this commandment. There can be no honor without honesty. And so this commandment calls us to being a people of truth. But wait, you say, the way this is worded, doesn't this commandment only apply to when you're in a courtroom setting to bear false witness, to speak against your neighbor? That sounds like what you would do in front of a court or a jury. Well, it does have an interesting wording, <clears throat> but I think it harkens back to commandment number three. I believe there's a tie here, and let me explain what I mean. Number three says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, a few weeks ago, we went through that one. And if you'll remember, we talked about the fact that so many people at that day and time were accustomed to using God's name or God's character in an oath as if to put a stamp of approval on some oath that they had no intention of keeping. And so this one comes along in that same kind of wording to remind us that you shall not say anything against your neighbor. The wording in the context suggests not just a false word, but a lie against or about your neighbor, whether you are under oath or you're not. In other words, don't be leveling anything against your neighbor ever. That's, that's not your job to speak against. Matthew Henry wrote about this commandment and reminds us that it forbids speaking falsely in any matter lying, equivocating, or any other devising and designing to deceive kind of context. And if the commandment by itself is not enough to convince us how God views deceit, then consider these passages of Scripture. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Psalm 101, verse 7, no one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Now notice, out of those seven, two of them, Two of them have to deal with falsehoods and lies. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Notice how all of this impacts neighbor, how often neighbor enters into this, or our fellow human beings. Proverbs 12, 22, 
The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. So let me ask some questions about this whole commandment, the whole concept of truth in general this morning. Why do we lie? Why is it sometimes that it's easier to lie than it is to tell the truth? Well, let me give you just a few thoughts with regard to why we oftentimes jump to the lie instead of standing with the truth. Sometimes it's out of anger and hurt. When somebody has done something to us, we have the we have the tendency to want to lash back, maybe even to lie about that person to hurt them as much as they have hurt us. When we have a cut on our arm, when we have a surgery that leaves a scar, the body heals fairly quickly. The scar remains as a reminder. But the mind, the mind is different than the body. And when something scars or cuts the mind, The mind has a way of probing that over and over and over again and keeps the wound fresh, not allowing it to heal. And the longer we probe those angry and hurtful feelings, the more likely we are to want to do something that violates the truth in relationship to the person who hurt us. James Garfield, Christian church preacher, was elected to the office of President of the United States in 1880. Garfield only served uh, six months before he was shot in the back with an assassin's bullet. Now, the president never lost consciousness. At the hospital, the doctor probed the wound with his little finger, then with a silver-tipped probe, but he couldn't find the bullet. The president was transported back to Washington, D.C. He had been elsewhere speaking when the the, uh, shot took place, and their teams of doctors also probed for the bullet. Even Alexander Graham Bell, the famous Scientist was called in, and he probed the wound. Nobody could ever find the bullet. The president lingered through July and August and died in September, not from the bullet, but from all of the probing and the infection that it caused in his body. I'm here to tell you, when somebody hurts you and you just keep probing that and probing that and poking that and pushing that, it's going to lead you to paths beyond the truth because you're going to want to take revenge on the anger that you've suffered. Proverbs 12, 18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword. They keep probing it. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Always stay with the truth. There's another cause, I think, that causes us sometimes to to lie, and that is fear. We fear the truth's consequences more than we fear the lies' consequences. Now, that's really a misnomer. You know, it, it, it really doesn't work that way, but that's what we think. If my boss knew the truth, he'd fire me. If my parents knew the truth, they'd ground me. If my wife knew the truth, she'd kill me. And the lie only then exasperates. And so we concoct these stories. But here's the problem. Once you use a lie as the foundation of a story, then the stress builds even more because you've got to keep the story straight that you concocted because now you're up against the uh, the, the truth. And so you keep building on this story that's on a false foundation and actually... In truth, you have more stress, anxiety, nervousness, and pain from trying to keep the fabricated story straight than the consequences of the truth had you just been honest at the beginning. Sometimes financial gain makes us dishonest. 
Some people lie on their tax forms in order to keep more money. Some people lie to their customers about the actual cost of a service or product in order to make more money. Some people lie about their financial accounts in order to hide more money. We're driven sometimes by protecting our finances. It's about the gain. Would you be surprised to learn that certain products on the market don't live up to the claims? <laughs> Kenoki foot pads designed to absorb all the toxins in your bodies were proven to be complete frauds. Research revealed that anti-barking devices for dogs, water globes for your plants, point and paint designed to paint a room in an hour, pro-caulk with those little things that are supposed to give you a smooth caulk line in your, in your tile, uh, and sham wow of all things, all performed less than what was promised. Which all goes back to the simple fact that the old saying is true. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Sometimes we lie out of embarrassment. In a survey, 92% of the people admitted that they lie to save face, and 98% said they lie to keep from embarrassing someone else. And, and then sometimes advancement causes us to want to lie. Some people reason that if a lie will advance my cause or my career more than the truth, then let's promote the lie to the exclusion of the truth. Now, to be sure, there are some good, honest, and sincere elected officials from all political persuasions who refuse to stoop to such levels of dishonesty. They can be trusted to speak the truth and live the truth, and those are the folks that I want to see leading in our country and in our world. But there are others who are far too easily led into dishonesty. We've seen it all in this year's primary and lead up to November election season. And it doesn't matter what party it is. From boasting of one's military record when he was never in the military to claiming a Native American heritage when such claims can't be substantiated to super PAC TV ads that take all things out of context so it spins the truth or it spins the lie and tells a different story. It's hard to recognize the truth in an election year. And what bothers me even more than that is that it seems like we don't care anymore what's true. Personally, I can't wait for Wednesday, November the 7th, to arrive. There are a lot of reasons why people lie, and not one of them, not one of them is justified in the face of truth. Now, those are some of the reasons we lie. How do we lie? Well, by definition, from a biblical perspective, a lie is anything that intends to deceive. And there's a lot of way we can do that. One, one of the big ones is slander. By definition, slander is an intentional lie about another person's character or conduct. The Puritan preacher Thomas Watson wrote, he said, the scorpion carries his poison in his tail, the slanderer carries his in his tongue. Don't speak ill of someone else. And that thought brings us to slander's ugly sibling, gossip. The spreading of unnecessary information that may or may not be true, but is intended to be harmful to the subject. We talk about of the, the problem when information goes in one ear and out the other ear. I'm here to tell you that's not nearly as dangerous as information going in this ear coming out the mouth. That's where gossip gets us into trouble. And this sin of gossip is never a friend of the truth. Never a friend of the truth. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 26, 20, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. 
Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into a man's innermost parts. Dealing with gossip on either end of the conversation is not easy. Trying to squelch, squelch gossip is like trying to unring a bell. So if you want to maintain your own integrity in the truth, don't be a carrier or a listener. And remember this old Spanish proverb, whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. So be careful with whom you share the stories. Speak the truth and leave the gossip alone. Carelessness, unintentional. Sometimes we're just careless with the truth. Mathematic teachers at the secondary school in Sleaford, England, awarded the arithmetic prize to the wrong team in a school competition because, as they later apologized, they had added up the scores wrong. Wouldn't that be embarrassing for a mathematics award? Be be ever so careful. Even unintentional lies can be devastating. Silence is a way to lie. When somebody says something that's wrong and you know it's wrong and it's not true and you remain silent, you become complicit with the lie. Stand up for the truth. Don't be passive when you know something is not true. Silence can be used in in, in a lot of ways. I learned this lesson a long time ago when I was a kid. Uh, I took piano lessons and I dreaded, absolutely dreaded recitals. And so after sweating through a few of those, I I concocted a plan. I thought the next time the piano teacher says we're gonna have a recital, I'm I'm just not gonna play, but I'm not gonna tell anybody. So when the teacher told me and gave me a piece of music that he wanted me to play for the recital, I just simply told him, said, I I, I won't be playing this time. Didn't give him a reason, didn't lie, just said, I'm not going to be playing. And then I decided, I'm not going to tell mom and dad. They'll never know. Teacher doesn't think I'm playing. I'm good to go. (laughs) I didn't lie. I just was silent about the whole issue. The one thing I didn't count on was the teacher publishing the upcoming recital in the local newspaper. And yes, mom and dad read the newspaper and they saw that the recital was coming and suddenly my name wasn't in the recital list and that's when the silence was broken. (laughs) So mom and dad made me play. I didn't play very well because I hadn't practiced for it because I wasn't going to play in the recital. But I played and I learned an incredibly important lesson about the truth. It's not just telling a lie, it's the intent to deceive. That's the problem. And that was exactly what I was trying to do. And sometimes you can even tell a lie with the truth. When you take something out of context, the words may be true, but they tell a distorted tale. How awful when we use the truth to lie. Now, why is the truth so important to God? Why is God so adamant about the truth? What's what's wrong with a little white lie every once in a while if no one gets hurt? There's the rub. That's the assumption. If I can tell a little white lie and nobody gets hurt, it's okay. But there is never a lie when nobody gets hurt. The truth of the matter is we get hurt, big or small. We always get hurt when we lie. And here's why. God's hatred of lying is embedded in the fact that he is the embodiment of the truth. Hebrews 6, 18 reminds us that it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. God can't do it. It is a violation of his 
character. In John 14, 6, Jesus declared boldly, I am the truth. Not I speak the truth, I am the truth. In John 17, 17, it bears this seal, your word is truth. God hates falsehood because it is the opposite of his character. He is truth. But it goes even deeper than that. Not only is God the father of truth, the arch enemy of God and God's people is the father of lies. On one occasion, as recorded in John chapter 8, Jesus was addressing the obstinate religious leaders and made this observation. John 8, verse 43 and following, this is what we read. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lying, therefore, folks, contradicts the very character of God and puts us in the enemy camp. And when we view the ninth commandment as stated, it is a singular act of hatred to another human being, about another human being, and attacks both God and humanity at the same time. This humanity for which Christ, the truth, gave his life. Don't ever conclude that a little white lie won't hurt anyone. It chips away at our character. And after a while of chipping, we no longer have any family resemblance to the father of truth. To the contrary, we begin to resemble the one who, when he opened his mouth for the first time in the Garden of Eden, lied to Eve. So how do we overcome the temptation to lie? Edward R. Murrow, U.S. broadcaster and journalist of the past, once said, he said, to be persuasive, we must be believable. To be believable, we must be credible. To be credible, we must be truthful. How do we maintain our credibility and our believability? How do we maintain our truthfulness? It'd be nice if the story of Pinocchio was true. That'd make it a lot easier on all of us. If our noses grew every time we told a lie, it'd be pretty, pretty clear, and we could put a stop to a lot of things. But Pinocchio is just a story. We can try all we want to keep it quiet. The truth eventually always comes out. But if you're struggling, if this is a problem for you, let me give you three real quick and... They're, they're easy for me to say. They're not necessarily easy to do, okay? But they're three quick ways to deal with this temptation. Number one, before you lie, before you get ready to say it or speak it or be silent about it, just stop. Stop and consider the fallout of your falsehood. You for sure will be hurt spiritually. It may end up negatively impacting your reputation when the truth comes out, and there may be others that you can't even think of right now that will be hurt by it, and God's reputation will be damaged as well. Don't speak or act rashly. Before you utter something that's not true, stop and think about the consequences of the lie. Number two, 
Before you lie, meditate on what God has said in His Word about lying. Take those passages of Scripture that we've talked about this morning, put them down on a piece of paper and keep it with you, or put them on the notepad of your iPhone or whatever kind of device you may have so that when you're struggling with something, just open up that page and start reading all the Scriptures about how God hates lying. And it will make it harder for you to tell that lie when you're looking at what the Heavenly Father expects of us and who He is as the Father of truth. And here's the third one. Before you lie, pray. This is one of the few ways to resist the father of lies and his temptations. You see, God doesn't want us to lie. He wants us to be a child of the truth. So pray. Tell God what you're struggling with. Ask God for the courage to stay true to the truth. This year, as you well know, we have been focusing on this being a year of prayer in our 50th uh, anniversary year. And what, I, what I, I, I know to be true is the more we pray, the stronger we become. And so this morning, as we're winding up this sermon, I, this is what I want to do first before we close. And that is simply, if you really struggle with this, I want you to take a moment to pray. Just quietly, all across, just, just, just pray silently. Ask God to help you with this tough temptation. And then I'll close this audibly with prayer. Let's bow. Holy Father, the living truth, we so desperately want to be a reflection of you and yet are so easily swayed and tempted to abandon the truth when a lie seems easier. Father, give us the courage that we need and the strength that we need, the passion for your truth that we need to stand firm on what is honest and true. Lord, help us not to yield to temptation, but to stand firm so that we might be a reflection of you and the family into which we've been born through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being incapable of falsehood. Help us to live in such a way that that will be reflected in our words, our deeds, and our actions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's really true, you know. Honesty is the best policy. But if you're only going to remember one half of the quote from Shakespeare, then remember the second half. If I lose mine honor, I lose myself. The Lord knew that when we lose the ability to speak and live the truth, we lose our honor, and when we lose our honor, we become nothing. So, may your honor your credibility, your character from this day on be such that it reflects positively on the Heavenly Father and commandment number nine.